0: Now it's True Wealth presented by Little John Financial Services. Here is David Littlejohn with True Wealth on News Radio 1240 KQEN.
1: All right, gang, it is that time of the week, your favorite Tuesday you've had all week, and it is time for the True Wealth Radio Show. Matt, welcome to the studio. I'm excited
0: to be here, as, as usual.
1: As am I, and uh, we uh, we talked in advance today and have. A uh, very rough plan, but we're going to go with this plan, right?
0: We're sticking to it.
1: Exactly. And so, you know, we have gotten enough emails and uh, texts and other things at the office that we have a, some direct response here. Uh, and it's interesting. We've had two different versions of this, right? Version one is something akin to, good God, man, now what? Right, yeah, uh, that with some kind of uh, Scottish accent to it that I did. Poorly. I appreciated that, though. Right, and then the other is the so anything on sale,
0: yeah. right?
1: And, and and it's really interesting to see those two uh, broadly different uh, opinions and concerns here. Uh, I have to admit, I was listening uh, earlier today, listening because it's on satellite radio to Jim Cramer. You know, okay, crazy Jim, and. Uh, but I did think, you know, it's crazy, Jim. He's he's very entertaining. At the same time, he's not stupid. Oh no! You know, I mean, he's a really sharp guy. He, uh, you know, he doesn't make every call correct, and and he's, uh, he, you know, again, part of what he's paid to do is to make really like on the spot decisions and make a call. It's still remarkable to watch the guy in action. He's a machine. He is. Well. He, he sort of divvied things up into four groups, and I don't even know if I can remember them all, but it was the, the different types of investors that are out there okay. right now. And why are we opening the show this way? People are asking specifically about the markets. It started on
0: Friday after Thanksgiving, so last Friday. Do you want to recap kind of what happened well, there? Right,
1: well, go ahead, Matt. So, like, Friday.
0: So Friday wasn't a good day. Like, let's just get that out there. Yeah. It wasn't pretty. All three
1: major indexes down around 2.5% each. Yeah. Right? And I like to work in percentages, okay? Because...
0: It's a better way to do things.
1: Because people will say, oh, my gosh, the Dow's down 500 points. And I go, yeah, but when 500 points is 1%, you know what we call that? A day in the markets, right? But when it's it was more than that right but when you say gosh it's down over 2% in a day you know what we call that a rough day in the market mm-hmm. right that's a, that's a material move and you have to ask yourself sort of well what happened here yeah, why, why would markets get beat up like that so that's happened on friday and then monday but wasn't friday a short day well, in the market well we'll get to that okay. we'll get to that right cuz so yesterday on monday markets were you know they kind of clawed some back you know about a 1% or so climb back up and then Today, another uh, rough day in the markets. What so, what
0: happened today? Recap it for us. Uh,
1: S and P's down one point nine percent. Dow's down one point eight six percent. Nasdaq's down one point five five percent. The Russell two thousand down one point nine two percent. Here's a fun one: crude oil uh, was up one percent. It's up to just under sixty seven bucks. Remember that that was trading up near eighty five eight, like yeah. a week and a half ago. Yeah. So major volatility uh, here's another interesting one gold up or, or down ever so slightly but gold still below eighteen hundred dollars an ounce at 1774 so uh, it's it's interesting now the reason that gold's particularly interesting we're going to come back to log that in your mind for a second but we had a big market beat up on last friday and then we had an, a follow-through beat up today and the markets did finish near the lows of the session Right? so they so they finished week what happened Let's talk about Friday first cuz I'm going what I want to suggest is that these are not two identical markets. There's a reason for both. And it may surprise you, I'm not making a recommendation on air, right? But I'm going to suggest that if you're an investor, don't panic yet. Yet, right? There are some things to discuss. We reserve
0: right? the right to panic.
1: <laughs> well, <laughs> I'm going to suggest professionally, we're not going to panic. We're going to be data dependent. Ah, there you okay? go. But investing, by its nature, is long term, and what happens is when people's nerves go up, we tend to migrate out of the investment camp and into the speculation camp. Our time horizons begin to shorten, mm-hmm. and we start being motivated by uh, fear and greed. And oftentimes, the fear takes the lead when things are na- like it's getting dicey. Right? Dangerous place to be. Yeah. So what was interesting about friday we talked about this together uh yesterday matt mm-hmm. you remember what i told you
0: yeah you were mentioning that the market wasn't open the entire day it was right. a short day and we didn't have all of the people in the market trading because it was a short day right so right the number of people trading back and forth caused there to be low volume yeah,
1: low participation in the markets. It's a holiday week, right? right? And not only that, Thanksgiving is one. It's it's a uniquely American holiday, mm-hmm. right? And it's not exclusively, but it's it's pretty uniquely American, like the Fourth of July. So here we've got this November holiday. It's the traditional kickoff to the quote unquote holiday season. Yep. which is a retail season, right? This is a, everybody buys each other gifts because we commercialize Christmas. We can have a discussion about the later, what that really means, but we're, we're not talking theology today. We're talking markets, right? And we so the, the, the kickoff to the holiday season, that means the markets basically took and crammed everything into days one, two, and three, and then people were largely out of the office on Thursday and Friday. The markets did open on Friday for mm-hmm. a short day, Right.
0: And there was some bad news released on Friday as well. Well,
1: and that's the kicker, right? So on Thanksgiving Day, we see what? The omni-
0: Omicron yeah, variant. The Omicron of variant, yeah.
1: Now, this, uh, we are not on this program to get everybody's feathers ruffled on this one, right? The reality is that we don't know much yet. Uh, What I am reading is that it's still a relatively small sample size. Yes, it has gotten out of the borders of South Africa, but something like 4,000 cases in an environment where the population is about 22% vaccinated. Uh, And so here we have this new variant. Uh, It may be contagious. We just don't know. And and let me be real fair. I am not a virologist or an expert in this stuff, and I'm not going to come and toss my opinion around like it's – fact okay let's let's say opinion is opinion here the data that i'm seeing suggests that this is not a runaway train of terror not yet i'm that doesn't mean it couldn't be so don't quote me that way but i'm saying hold up here let's wait for the data before we flip out Mm -hmm. so the markets though don't wait like that right okay news comes out about the omicron variant thursday markets are closed so the panic that sets in you can actually watch through some of the sentiment algorithms that are out there monitoring social media and they're monitoring search results and they're seeing how uh, this the spike in searches on Google for example for more information about Omicron and so that triggers certain digital sell programs and you also then have stop limit programs in place for stop losses and you have very few market participants well when you have very few market participants in a shortened day the direction of sentiment can get a lot more severe because just imagine in an auction marketplace it's like if there's only two people in a in a market right then one person wants to buy and one person has to sell then the price negotiation is a lot more challenging yeah right if you want to sell something there's only one buyer then you and that buyer and seller you guys have to figure out the price together and you know it may not be an easy agreement when you're the seller and you've got 500 people lining up to buy price discovery happens pretty quickly Mm -hmm. right because you've got lots of incremental amounts in between the lowest willing buyer and the highest willing buyer and so you can kind of pick in that whole crowd of people and it's pretty easy to sell to a big group because the demand is there for the purchase it's a good way to say it if you don't have anybody there and you've got low trading volume, then the price ha- can jump around more aggressively, or, or gap between this what we call is a spread between the bid, which is what people are asking to get paid to sell, and the ask. Or, I'm sorry, I'm doing this the other way. The bid is what people are willing to spend to buy something. The ask is what somebody is asking to get for that what they already own. So if they're going to sell it, they are the ask. Okay, the bid is who's buying. The spread or the difference between that those two prices is what the the, the spread and, and so that, that gap in between is that they're if they're not the same number, right? If it's the same number, then you make the trade. But if there's a if there's a, a gap in between, then you don't. Well if you got big gaps and then somebody really has to get out, then they'll agree to a lower price and the market can jump. And that's how you sometimes see the market on open. You'll see a stock price fall really aggressively. It just opens lower than it closed the day before. No, it's not a smooth line with lots of little trades falling off of a waterfall. It's just, oh, there was a dot at, you know, up high one day, and the next day the next dot's lower. The price just jumped lower. Like, wow, where the did the stock really just lose all that value instantly? Yeah, it did, because there's nobody else in between willing to buy it. That to me is a lot of what happened on Friday.
0: Yeah. OK. Right. And I can buy into that. Yeah.
1: So low trading volume, very aggressive sellers to buyers, given the news of the Omicron variant and given just the physical setups of the market. You know, a few participants so that the aggressiveness of the trading is what drove it. And the aggressiveness was down. So Monday. Also, we should mention last Monday, intraday all time highs for the S&P 500. So we're mm-hmm. at nearly all-time highs for the market.
0: We had a ways to fall. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and and the amazing thing is now we look at it. Now I, I want to say that it's it's been pretty remarkable in the last five days. So peaked out. Let's see, that was been Wednesday. Uh, let's let's go back to the the, the one month or, or so. November twenty-second hits a high, uh, forty-seven ninety-three. We're down to forty-five sixty-eight. So what is that? Couple hundred points here. It's it's down like six percent or something since Monday. At the, at the high water mark. Pretty aggressive slide. Yeah, it is. Okay. So, uh, what what does that mean for today? Right. So here we are. It's Tuesday, the thirtieth of November, and markets are down almost two percent again today. So, that, you know, again, they were up yesterday on Monday. Today they're down. Why?
0: I think they're going to have to wait till yeah. The break. We'll take. We'll
1: take. We're going to take a break. We'll come back. We're going to answer that question. And then we'll we'll get on to some other market mechanics here. But uh, we they are gonna make us take an obscene profit break first. So stick around, we'll be right back. This is Dave Littlejohn and Matt Dixon. We got true wealth on news radio twelve forty KQEN. Hey, gang, welcome back to the True Wealth Radio Show. And uh, thanks for tuning in. Uh, Dave Littlejohn in studio with Matt Dixon. Okay, We are catching up. And again, we for our own clientele at Littlejohn Financial, uh, we were answering uh, a question about what's going on with the markets. Uh, If you're just joining us today, if you're tuning in just now, you can grab the podcast. If you're listening to the podcast, you already know this information, right? Uh, It'll be available at littlejohnfs.com under the Educate tab. So check it out tomorrow. It'll get posted. Uh, We talked about what drove the markets last Friday on a shortened holiday trading day, some mechanical elements at play, a COVID scare, and so the markets go down. They go up on Monday, and then here we are on Tuesday, and again, it's the 30th of November. Markets go down 1.9-ish percent across most of the major indexes. So almost a 2% drop again. And, Matt, I told you that, in my opinion, this mm-hmm. is not the same thing as what happened on Friday. Right.
0: So if, if, if it's not based on COVID news, what do you think it is?
1: So today, uh, they there was uh, testimony from Jerome Powell, the Federal Reserve Chair, right? And there was some subtle language changes that the Federal Reserve is now uh, speaking toward. And so there, one of them is, for a long time, they've been using the term transitory in reference to inflation. Do you
0: it, want to explain what transitory really means? Right?
1: Well, first, let's talk about what... Yeah, I was. let's do that. Right? Okay. So inflation, it, we all kind of get it, right? You can see that gas prices have gone up and your grocery bill is going up and we're we're just a lot of the consumer things that we want to purchase because of it's been argued it was supply chain disruption that causes now let me explain what that means too, to to get this whole thing dialed okay in economics 101 what in how does price get discovered for anything
0: just the basic supply and demand curve.
1: Supply and demand, right? So on the supply side, if COVID has disrupted the supply chain, what does that do to supply? It's there's
0: less supply and so... Right, greater so demand. lower
1: supply. And if demand is otherwise unchanged,
0: oh, okay. then the price yeah. would go up. Yeah,
1: That is inflationary by nature. Well, the Federal Reserve has been suggesting that it, in its view, These economic pressures have been transitory or in transition because of the interruption to supply chains due to COVID. And that as COVID subsides, they expect supply chains to loosen and as supply sort of recovers, that prices should stabilize and normalize at that point. So they believed inflation to be transitory. Okay. the, the language change is indicating that they see it as less, it's no longer transitory in their view, that it's sort of here and they need to do something to intervene. Now, there's a lot more to this story, right, because we know we're still uh, pr- printing money in a lot of respects. And let's not go into the dynamic of how that occurs on this program today, but let's just talk about, for example, the, the Washington, D.C. and infrastructure spending, right? Hey, let's let's go have a big government spend on infrastructure. Okay, well... Who builds the roads and the bridges and the things that are supposed to go into that package? A lot of private sector contractors will bid on government contracts. Mm-hmm. There will be things like prevailing wage provisions in those contracts. So people are going to get paid a specified wage. So those projects are going to conform to the government rules. It's going to make its way into the private sector. It's going to make it to the hands of people that are, are performing the, the, the works. And so that should be stimulated through the economy. But that's also inflationary in nature if the supply chain's still disrupted. But you're putting more money into more people's hands, right? So it's stimulative in effect to the markets. So why does today's why does that affect today? What what does it mean when the Fed says we're we're, we're taking the, the term transitory away from inflation?
0: That means that our inflation is real. So well, they're, yeah, they're yeah.
1: acknowledging it's real. Yeah. The next thing is. They have suggested they would accelerate their taper of bond purchases. So interest rates,
0: interest rates would go up. Well,
1: it implies that that could be the case, right? Mm -hmm. Because keep in mind, it's a supply and demand thing. This a lot of people misunderstand what the Federal Reserve was doing with quantitative easing, right? The Federal Reserve can set some interest rates, but the market decides interest, right? Mm -hmm. Turns out, you, my loyal and, and Brilliantly intelligent listeners are gonna latch onto this quickly. Okay? so if you, if I come to you and say, "Hey, can I borrow money?" Okay, you're and and you need to determine first yes or no. And if the answer is yes, what interest rate will you charge me? Right. And some of you are really benevolent. You're like, "I'd loan you money," and I would say, "Okay, but let's write up a contract for it because it makes our example more fun on air." And you're, all right, so we're gonna pay interest. Okay, what should it be? You're going to take an assessment of your ability to take the risk to loan the money, your need to be paid back, and my credit worthiness. How likely am I to pay you back?
0: right? And where could you invest that money and get a similar yield? Well,
1: that's going to all come into play as well because your cost of capital yeah. and your opportunity costs. Let's come back to that. Hang on okay. to that idea. That's a good one. We're putting right? it in the piggy bank. Okay. We're saving on that one. Well, You don't necessarily want to make me a really low interest rate loan if it turns out that inflation is all around you. Because you're going to get paid back in low interest dollars, and those dollars won't have as much purchasing power if everything's gotten more expensive. Sure. So you are at risk. Now, people forget this a lot, but when you purchase bonds, you are buying a loan, right? You're making a loan to somebody, and they're going to pay you back. That's what Mm -hmm. a bond is. Yeah. Right? A bond is a payment obligation. So that you get an interest payment with a balloon payment at the end of the term of the bond. And what we know is that if you make a loan to somebody and then the interest rates change, the loan is less valuable if you were going to try to trade or sell that obligation away to somebody else. Like, hey, I'm, I, you loaned me money, and then you want your friend to buy that loan obligation, so I have to pay your friend back instead of you, and you're going to get cash out of the deal. Your friend has to also assess my credit worthiness and they have to look at the change in economic conditions and whether or not they want to buy that loan. So the price of the loan may change. So your your principal would be at risk. How much you get paid back isn't the issue. It's what is the value of the bond if you or in this case the loan you made to me if if the conditions have changed. It may not be what they it started as. Okay? So that that's the issue of your 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 bond value can fluctuate. So if you want if i'm a really good loan you're more willing to make it to me if i'm a really terrible loan you don't want to make it to me well if the federal reserve comes in and buys a bunch of bonds that's the equivalent of well we will take we will be the demand side of the curve right there's only so many bonds in existence so when the government issues new bonds the federal reserve comes in and buys them and that's the equivalent of manipulating the demand side of the curve Right? Because it's yeah. only supply or demand. Yeah. So we demand all of it. At what price? Whatever it takes, Garson, give me the bonds. Yeah. And, and so they just buy them all. And when they do, that in effect takes the supply out of the market. So anybody else that wants to buy them, and there are times that you need to buy guaranteed obligations. Right? Well, by them bidding the price up because they're willing to pay whatever it takes, then anybody else that wants to buy them has to pay those higher prices too because they have to compete with the Fed to buy them. Isn't that crazy? It's crazy, but that's how it works. So quantitative easing is the Fed manipulating the supply side of the curve by being the demand. Or they're not manipulating, they're taking supply out of the curve, so they're they're supplying excess demand. Mm, yeah. Right, right? It's that's an really artificial, what's going on. It, yeah, it's artificial demand. If they do that, then the price of the bond goes up, the yield or the interest rate drops. Now that, we've talked about this on the show before, but just know there's an inverse relationship between the yield on a bond and the price. If interest rates go up, your bond drops, right? Because remember, yeah. if, if you loaned money to somebody and then rates go up, and you want somebody to buy that loan from you, They can get a new loan with better interest rates, so they're not going to pay you prime time for your loan. It's not as attractive, so the principal drops. Okay, but if rates go down, the opposite happens, right? You, I, you loan me money for ten percent, and rates are five now. People want the loan; they want to get paid back that ten percent amount. Mm -hmm. So,
0: the price goes up for it. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Okay, that's how that works in simple terms. So the Fed's manipulating that. If the Fed stops buying, what happens?
0: Well, then there's, then the interest rates would be forced to... Demand
1: comes out yeah. of the market, right? Yeah. And if demand drops, then so does price. But, but then if the price yield goes falls, up. Correct. Yeah. Yield goes up. And they're predicting that the yield goes up. The market's behaving as such, right? Hmm. The, the market sort of said, wait a second, the cost of capital just went up. And so we need to readdress all this. And the Fed is saying they may change how much it, 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 it how So much they could costs, buy right? less, in a sense. Well, if rates go up, purchasing power is going to drop. So if the anything that's leveraged mm-hmm. has a problem, if you're in a floating rate event, let's say you have a margin account, mm-hmm. and it's not fixed interest rates, if the rates are going to change, then that's going to affect your margin accounts. Let's say you're trying to get a real estate loan, And the banks are going to have a change to their cost of capital. They're not going to want to commit to lower interest rates in a rising interest rate environment. So the pricing of all this is going to get affected. And guess what? The market started moving really quickly, and we really the markets may be ahead of themselves on this.
0: They they could get it
1: wrong, right? I mean, somewhere between Omicron variant and Fed. I mean, they could be getting it wrong. The Fed may not be nearly as aggressive as the market is concerned. They will be.
0: So, which is probably the case. It's like,
1: probably the and, and here's the real kicker. And if there was one summary thought on this whole segment about what the heck's going on, again, I'm not gonna make a recommendation here, but I'm gonna suggest that bonds are still pretty expensive. Just because the Fed says we're thinking we may let rates start to drift a little higher, that should help reduce the amount of inflation somewhat it's going to take some money out of the system that's being borrowed but is it going to take a bunch of money out of the stock market
0: yeah i mean is everyone are we all going to sell and go buy bonds now yeah no
1: i mean i'm not going to go buy point oh nothing bonds
0: i love that point oh nothing that's a that's great i appreciate that it's really what it is though yeah i mean interest
1: rates are just nothing right now you're you're skating backwards in a savings account with inflation running where it is you're just skating backwards. And heaven's sake, Social Security is getting bigger uh, mm-hmm. cost-of-living adjustments than your checking account or savings accounts generating, and most bank CDs too. So that cost of capital event is real. So if risk is mispriced, and in this case we're talking about the risk-reward trade where you're saying, well, if I take no risk, I get no reward, but I still have inflation, then that's a misprice, right? Your, your no-risk event has risk. Has inflation risk.
0: Mm-hmm. And it's
1: so high that it compels people not to stay there. So I don't know that this market is going to have all the wind come out of its sails just yet, just because it's had a couple of rough days. I think there's a little bit of a shakedown, maybe a little bit of a wait and see, a lot of speculation as to how much this Omicron variant really impacts things.
0: And only time's going to tell on that one. Absolutely. Yeah. So
1: my sense is that uh, the market's just volatility spiked like crazy there was a lot more retail investors than we've experienced in the past the the robin hood trader phenomenon is real oh yeah yeah and so we saw massive option volume i was uh listening and hearing some of the uh, you know like maybe double what we've historically seen for the same time period so and that really plays a huge effect it amplifies moves in the market too these derivative trades amplify things so anyway my, my sense is that uh, all is not lost on this point. Some speculation has driven the short-term volatility. It's knocked the markets down a little bit. Uh, there's a few big positions. We'll talk about that in a minute, too, the size of positions and what that means for the markets. But uh, I would suggest that if you are an investor, right, there's, there's an old expression It's fun. You should be fearful when people are greedy and greedy when people are fearful. Well, the fear factor just spiked. Uh, the, the coming weeks, we will see where it's at here. But my sense is that trying to time the market on a 3 or 4% pullback is probably a fool's errand. So I, I wouldn't change your strategy. i just be aware at this point. If you need to change your strategy, it's because the circumstances of your life have changed. But don't let fear talk you into something foolish. All right? Okay. Good. Well, we yeah. got to take our next break. So when we come back... We will cover more. I want to talk about the big stock phenomenon and whatever one you put away in your pocket. Okay. Cover that too. All right, stick around. We'll be right back. This is Dave Littlejohn. And Matt Dixon. Yeah, we True Wealth on News Radio, 1240 KQEN. Hey gang, welcome back to the True Wealth Radio Show. Uh, if you're just tuning in, today's the What the Heck Happened in the Markets Day. Uh, we talked about Friday. We talked about today, and Matt, then you brought up the big stock question, which is well. So we talked a little bit about this. Uh, what was the data that we were pulling right before the show? We were looking at the S and P 500, the top 20 stocks.
0: Oh yeah, when yeah we were looking at that, and we we're looking at how heavily weighted those 20 stocks are.
1: Yeah, I, I like to describe the S&P 500 like a real estate grab. Uh, what happens is the biggest companies get the biggest real estate chunk. Mm-hmm. So there's only so much dirt out there, right? Yeah. And when you look at the S&P 500, here's the amazing thing. Weren't the, they like the top? The, top, top, the top three 40? stocks were almost 12% of the total portfolio. Yeah, that,
0: that statistic okay. is probably even more the impressive. The
1: top 10 stocks were 30%. Mm-hmm. And the top 20 stocks
0: 40. were 40%. Yeah. So
1: 20 stocks represent 40% yep. of the weighting for a 500 and something stock
0: portfolio. And you I say,
1: or something, because it's actually more than 500. And when stocks. you think
0: SP 500, you're thinking like these 500 companies and no, mm-hmm. like 20 of them making up that type of weighting. That's insane.
1: Mm-hmm. I'm you would think it'd again.
0: be a lot more diversified than that you in the weighting. So.
1: But you would think so is so, it the
0: Wilkshire that is evenly balanced and so evenly no, weighted so no
1: that's i don't think so there the, the wilshire is usually it's the 5000 is the total market index and mm-hmm. uh, so just for our listeners benefit here the, think of it as so th- in this case the index is cap weighted right so capitalization is how how big is the company in dollar value mm-hmm. okay? so when you have a trillion dollar company that's the trillion dollar market capitalization Okay, if you have a billion-dollar company, well, that's a lot smaller than a trillion. So, uh, and and interestingly enough, so the market cap, total market cap of the S and P 500 is 40.3 trillion.
0: Okay, number doesn't even
1: okay. But if you consider that the top three companies represent about 12 percent of that number, well, 10 percent of that would be four trillion, right there. So, about four four and a half trillion in three companies. Right? And I think number four, I think it was Microsoft, Apple, and, oh... Don't
0: tell me Tesla's in there. No,
1: they're number four. Oh, are they? Yeah, Tesla's now the fourth largest company on the planet by market cap. That still doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, It doesn't make any sense to me either. Oh, I think it's Amazon. That's right. It was Microsoft, Amazon, and Apple, followed by... So uh, Apple's first right now, or maybe, I think Microsoft might be first. Microsoft, no Apple, then Microsoft, Apple, Microsoft and then Amazon, Amazon,
0: and, then Tesla. and Tesla. Where's Google play into that? Google's they gotta like be close. sixth or yeah. something.
1: There, I mean, these are all massive companies. So oh, right? Berkshire Hathaway Facebook was in there. Facebook was in there. Berkshire Hathaway was in there. Uh, so there, there was a list, but if you, it, there's here's the funny thing: five hundred and five stocks in the S and P five hundred, mm-hmm. right? And
0: they really need to kick those five out. Well, make they it in rotate the a little
1: bit here, depending, but but. What we know is that the biggest companies get the biggest percentage weighting. So, like, in, you know, Apple by itself represents like over six percent of the S and P
0: five hundred. Yeah. Okay. And Apple had a good day today too. I think they were one. Yeah, of they few. were
1: up like one point something percent. So, if you think about the, another way to construct an index, would be well, let's give everybody the same playing time, right? Let's not just play our all stars. We're going to give everybody the same shared equity in that. That's an equal weighting. So Mm -hmm. all 505 stocks get the same percentage weighting. They get one 500 and something. okay? That changes the performance metrics a lot because what you find is that if 20 stocks represent 40% or what do you say, if 20 stocks represent 40% of the money, if those 20 stocks have a really good day, they can kind of make up for 480 stocks having a mediocre day.
0: Yeah, but if Apple, Microsoft, Amazon and Tesla all have a really bad day, and yeah. everyone then else everybody does really has good. A bad day. Yeah, that's
1: it. So it it does hide the what's going on in the markets a little bit. So the indexes are not necessarily reflective, but that's why we have multiple indexes. And in the Russell 2000, uh, if you'll recall was also down today and so russell 2000 was down 1.92 percent which is really similar to the s&p well that's two thousand companies it's still cap weighted but it's a lot more of the small and mid caps in there Mm -hmm. so uh the small companies in the s&p 500 also got beat down so it's just a good old-fashioned woodshed event
0: (laughs) (laughs) blistered yeah blistered oh just just
1: not not fun uh we did see a, a massive a spike in volatility, too. So if you measure the volatility index of the VIX, here's an interesting element to the VIX, though. Uh, it, I, they talk about term structure. I'm not going to go deep in the weeds on this. But basically, the short-term volatility looks worse than the long-term volatility. All right, So the three-month volatility is looking more attractive than the one-month volatility when you look at implied volatility in the market, which says, OK, so this event was sort of spiked on some kind of trigger. But uh, it looks like this may come back out of the market. Uh, bottom line, and again, I can't recommend this to you, but uh, the indications are still that the wheels are not coming off of this market, and it's not that all was lost, right? If you f- like, where yeah. else does the money
0: go in the economy right now? Well and the market's also not used to this type of volatility. We've had really low volatility for a really long time.
1: Well the market's experienced this before. We're yeah. not, you know, we're not used to it. It's like we're just used to it's like flying in an airplane and everything's really smooth and then that's it hit a, turbulence. Yes, that's a and you're perfect like, Whoa, analogy. Like that was unexpected and you know, I just spilled my cola. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or water or whatever beverage you're drinking on a plane. Some of you might be stiffer than that. <laughs> the, the point being yeah, it's unexpected volatility. To toss you around.
0: Mm-hmm. So, but you're saying that the plane didn't lose any wings and the engines haven't melted. It doesn't
1: it certainly doesn't look like it's going down. hmm Right. And you know, who knows? The thing about uh unknown events is I know this is gonna sound very uh remarkable to say, but they are unknown. Mm-hmm. I, like wow. That's, yeah, that's deep. <laughs> And so, yeah, but
0: as much—I mean, you're right, though. As much as we sit here and speculate, we don't know what the future holds. No.
1: And and so we we can't. I and mean, you hear me use phrases a lot about, uh, hey, you know, statistically it looks like this. Well, why do I say statistically in front of
0: it? Because you can't guarantee future performance. Yeah, it's
1: it's odds making, right? Yeah. And he, what we know about odds making is if if the odds are in your favor, it tends to work out well over time. You know, ask any casino. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, like the, their odds, uh, I think that our investor odds are significantly better than the casino odds. I'd be willing to wager right now that if we talk to casino owners, whether they be uh, local tribal members or they be any of the, uh, you know, Las Vegas or Atlantic City franchises or, you know, Macau or wherever, we talk to them and say, hey, what if we could give the house uh, the same odds as the stock market? They take them. Well, they they would until they said like except we couldn't get anybody to come anymore. Like the gambler would lose so often they'd give up. Right. You know there just wouldn't be it wouldn't be interesting anymore because the statistics would be so overwhelmingly in their favor, and that to me is how it works for investors as long as you don't do, I think the technical term is stupid decisions.
0: That's a really good technical term, David. (laughs)
1: Yeah, we we all (laughs) see it. Where oh I'm gonna freak out because I'm getting really emotional. I'm gonna do something. I'm going short-term. to all
0: gold today, David.
1: Yeah, I'm. So you just have to check the freak out, like pump the brakes and don't freak out. Uh, and I'm now into even you know deal making and rationalization. I want to sell everything. All right, well look, can we sell part of everything? You will have sheltered that much. If you needed the money in the short term, it's there. Right? It's right? protected. It's not protected against inflation, but at least you still own assets that should appreciate over time. And now you have a bucket of liquidity that buys you the time to be patient with the other investments because historically long term it's worked out. Okay, And you know what we just did? Really basic financial planning. right? Basic investment strategy right yeah. there. But what we're attempting to do is extricate you from the emotionally bad decisions you're attempting to make by making all or nothing decisions. Right, Because all or nothing decisions, you have to be 100% right or you're 100% wrong. Yeah. Right? If you make partial decisions, we can go back to statistics. And that's about position sizing and playing the odds when they're in your favor versus not in your favor. Okay? So now that's strategy. Strategies are things that you can stick with. And it's a good way to set your emotions aside and improve your decision outcomes. Okay? So speaking of decision outcomes, uh, not our decision, but we got to take one final break okay so we're gonna do that when we come back we got a few final thoughts for you and uh we're gonna make Matt look good you'll see stick around the state Little John and Matt Dixon got true well on news radio 1240 KQEN. Hey, gang, welcome back to the True Wealth Radio Show. Dave Littlejohn in studio with Matt Dixon. All right. Hey, uh, we have covered ground today. Check it out on the podcast at littlejohnfs.com under the Educate tab, and you can get caught up to speed. And if you find yourself going through, we just talked about how uh, investors can make you know uh, emotionally driven decisions that can lead to poor outcomes. And if you find yourself compromised, well, you, you may not even recognize it, but here's the thing. That's one of the number one mistakes that people make it's it's not typically the investment selection that is the problem for people folks often think well what do we pay financial professionals for and it's for improved decision-making that's and for stake avoidance is where much of what we call the alpha is generated right the outperformance comes not from asset selection per se I mean if you can do that that's great Right? Great asset selection is really key, but it's really, really hard to do consistently and to outperform uh, Like the nature of an index where a cap weighted index will invest in the companies that are growing. And as those companies grow, the weightings that they're, that they're exposed to continue to get bigger. Well, the companies that are growing are growing for a reason. So if they keep getting bigger and they keep getting more, becoming a larger portion of your portfolio as they grow, then what you're doing is you're really biasing to the stuff that's got traction, which makes it very difficult to outperform an index. You you can sometimes do it with more concentration, right? So meaning fewer positions, you might be able to enhance the returns there. But it's hard over time because that strategy is just really effective.
0: And the advisor is also really good about not being as connected with the decision of like when to actually sell something, right? Like mm-hmm. you're up 10% and you want to go to 15. Maybe the advisor sees something and is like, hey, let's sell this and let's move on.
1: Well, Or they're simply investing to the parameters that you predefined, right? Yeah. That's the real tough one is that, uh, you, you know, you get emotionally compromised when it's when you're too close to an issue, right? We've talked yeah. on the show before about how, you, you know, surgeons are not allowed to operate on their own kids. Right. Because mm-hmm. they're emotionally compromised and that can compromise your training. OK, so that the, the benefit of having independent counsel that has less of an emotional stake in the outcome is really exactly that beneficial. Right. So the, uh, the uh, and, and if it sounds like we're selling financial advice, yeah, we, we are. OK, if you're capable of doing it on your own and you're you're good about sidestepping the emotions and following your own rules, that is a great deal. Right. I mean, it really is yeah. uh, money management in and of itself. And, you know, the investment management, that's not the magic. Right. And mm-hmm. I'm always kind of careful when that's the first thing that somebody wants to tell you. If, if you walk into the, their financial office for advice and you start getting a let me tell you how smart we are. Let me give you the dog and pony show about our investments. And let me give you a story about why our investments are brilliant. If that's the lead in as opposed to let me understand your circumstances, let me understand your mission profile and what you're looking for, and let me really see if we're capable of providing what you're looking for, right? Those should be the first questions that you should be receiving is, it should be about you and your needs and then matching to those needs as opposed to let me tell you why we're so great and boy are you lucky you walked in my office,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: right? So. Anyway, there's one last thing on my list. Um, what do you uh, got
0: on What do you got on your mind?
1: Well, the, the last one is the the funny thing about this program. I mean, I recognize that we are out there in the marketplace, so we're competing for clients like everybody else. And yes, we are still taking on new customers. So you can call us, and we're delighted to work with you if you're. But but we're not. My mission has never been to convince you to leave an existing relationship. If, if you've got a great professional relationship with uh, somebody, th- th- that's fine. I, you know, I think there's a lot of great practitioners out there, and it's about just make sure that you do get the help, because what happens is this is the stuff that oftentimes falls onto the important but not urgent stack, mm-hmm. right? And you just you don't get to it, you don't get to it. And it's the difference is, right, if you don't change your oil after a long enough time, y- y- problems develop, okay? The, the issue is that if you don't address your finances after enough time, problems can develop, but you don't have the time to fix them. Time mm. is the part of the asset well equation, said. right? Yeah. Without the time, it's a lot harder to make up the the assets. And so you need that time to build. So I'm just encouraging everybody, if you don't have somebody, call us, right? five four one three seven five zero eight nine eight. If you do have somebody, fantastic but just don't stall out on the decisions, okay? That's a, that's a, that's a bummer deal, you don't wanna do that. And I've had so many people that look back and go, oh man, woulda, shoulda, coulda, mm-hmm. I know. And, and you know who ends up being successful a lot of the time? Public sector employees, because they don't get a choice. This is your benefit package, it's happening. Yeah. Okay. And there are trade-offs for that, and there are different rules and different things that are you know good and bad, but that, that investment strategy is force-fed. Okay. And in the private sector, it doesn't happen that way often. Mm-hmm. You, know, you have to sort of elect it. So I'm just really trying to get on the soapbox for a minute and say, doggone it, eat your vegetables. Do the right thing here. Yeah. Okay, one final thing I'm just going to mention, because if we miss it, uh, it it's, it's relevant. And that is, did you see what happened in the mortgage marketplace today? What happened? So, so they have increased the conforming loan limits for... Uh, your federal housing and financing agencies, right? So like Freddie Mac and Fannie Mae and so mm-hmm. forth, they are... They so they're
0: willing to loan you more money on a home.
1: Correct. Well, this is essentially an acknowledgement of inflation in the real estate.
0: Uh, but how much category. do they raise it by?
1: $98,950. Ooh, that so, is a jump. So yeah, the new conforming loan limit is $647,200 and in some markets it's higher than that. So like uh, in places like Uh, California, I think, and uh, New York, and some other places. They can, yeah, I'm looking, uh, established loan limits are higher for Alaska, Hawaii, Guam, and the Virgin Islands, and some others.
0: As a percent, what type of jump are we looking at here?
1: Oh, gosh, that's high. I mean, that's that's close. It's an 18.05% increase. Wow. So uh, that is, now, presumably, that's because if the real estate market is increased in value, the underlying collateral is increased as well. So they,
0: I wonder what the effect on the real estate market might be from that.
1: My suspicion is that it's about a push because on the the one hand, if rates are going to go higher, you're going to have less purchasing power. But for folks that found themselves on the fringe of properties where maybe they couldn't borrow enough to get there because they'd have to get into a jumbo mortgage and the rules were just too cumbersome to get there, it's going to give a little bit more headroom to the housing market for the average buyer which gives more pricing upside potential on the flip side reduction in purchasing power but we're seeing wage inflation too so you know there's multiple levers that are getting pulled here and i don't know the outcome but my suspicion is that it it prevents a housing market collapse oh, that, yeah. that we may have like we saw in 2008 doesn't mean we can't have a pullback but, you know, seeing a 50% drop in real estate prices looks less probable mm-hmm. given the data. Did we go back to statistics again? We're Did all I? over the place, God, David. I live in stats land. I'm just such a loser. Uh, oh. I, 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 it, well, like, I just can't help the us numbers guys go find comfort in the numbers and uh, yep. this, this inability to commit to them, right? Well, let me just – it's mostly like this except for the times when it's not.
0: I'm gonna so get humble. you like a math equations book for Christmas. That's oh, what no, you're i getting.
1: Won't, it's getting. Uh, it, I don't. I, I I neither love spreadsheets nor want to play in the statistics. I just like to see them when they're already calculated. Ah, okay. We're out of time, gang. We got to run. Uh, thanks for tuning in. As always, this has been Dave Littlejohn and Matt Dixon. And if you want to reach us, it's Littlejohn Financial five four one three seven five zero eight nine eight. Until next time, uh, thanks for tuning in. You can listen to the True Wealth on News Radio twelve forty KQEN. The preceding program was paid for by Little John Financial Services. The opinions and views expressed may not reflect those of Brook Communications, its affiliates, or its employees.